Welcome back, everybody, to part one of two of our latest episode. In these next two episodes, I'm having a talk with Dr. Phoebe Bernard, who has been working on a project that breaks down six recommendations made by the science community to solve the climate emergency. She talks about what they are and how we as citizens can get involved with each one. The main point of today's episode is that normally when documents like this are released, as a citizen, I feel pretty helpless and disempowered by what seems to be problems lying at a higher systemic level that I can't really impact with my everyday actions. Phoebe helps to translate these issues into solutions that we can all participate in. It's hard to forget that without us, there actually is no system in the first place. The six recommendations focus on energy, pollutants, nature, food systems, population, and the sustainable economy. Please remember that this podcast is about you guys. If you have an input, if you have feedback, if you want to hear about a particular topic, please write in at max at marbonline.org. That's M-A-X at M-A-H-B online.org. Follow us on social, either Twitter or Instagram. It's at world underscore one. And click the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. New episodes come out every two weeks. Today's episode is part one of two in which we'll be discussing the first three recommendations on the list. That's energy, pollutants, and nature. Next Wednesday, part two will be released and that'll discuss food systems, population, and the sustainable economy, as well as a project close to Phoebe's heart called Girl Planet that focuses on the stories of women and how they're being impacted by the climate emergency. Phoebe has dedicated her life to nature, the environment, and science. She's a sustainable strategist, climate change ecologist, conservation biologist, planner, policy translator, media and communication strategist, and film co-producer. She has so many strings to her bow. And amongst a number of other projects, she's currently the founding CEO of the Stable Planet Alliance. The associate science and policy communication strategist with the Conservation Biology Institute and affiliate professor at the University of Washington, and a research associate at the University of Cape Town's Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology. She's passionate about helping the world learn from its mistakes to become smarter, fairer and cleaner so that we can take a step towards a new world order where people and the planet actually matter. So without further ado, let's get into the chat. Well, Phoebe, thank you so much for being on Our New World and joining us. It's great to have you. It's wonderful to be with you, Max. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for the invitation. I really appreciate the time, yeah. Uh, so firstly, what was your journey into environmentalism? <laughs> uh, I think I just was born with a little environmentalist badge in my heart. <laughs> uh, right, right from early on, I, I knew that this was my destiny. I first actually expected to be a paleontologist. Uh, and then when I was about five or six, I realized that they actually just worked in hot, dusty conditions with toothbrushes sitting around <laughs> their whole careers. And, and, and so I realized that much of my uh, passion was for the living world. 
I didn't really want to be an academic because I wanted quite early on to change the world in practice and not in theory. <laughs> so I went on uh, to, I, I left the US and I went off to my undergraduate uh, career in, in Canada, where I studied evolutionary and behavioral ecology in modern day animals instead of paleontology. And then I ended up in Africa where I knew my applied interests and skills would be a little bit more useful in shaping national development. Uh, Namibia and South Africa, where I lived and worked for 34 years, they were both uh, negotiating crossroads uh, in, in their own histories. And so it was an exciting time to be there. So on the, you know, on my own journey, I learned evolutionary behavior, conservation biology, global change ecology, and that all morphed into environmental futures and public policy. And now I'm learning filmmaking too. <laughs> so I've really been a lifelong student, actually. Yeah, so many strings to the bow. I know, I remember before this, we were chatting about what to talk about, and there are lots of different things that you've covered in your career. It's interesting that you were saying you didn't initially think about becoming an academic, because I know that you, you did some work for BirdLife, didn't you, out in, out in Africa? Well, I was the honorary president of BirdLife South Africa, um, and I'm an ornithologist by background. Right. So I, I certainly have been involved with BirdLife, although not um, employed by them at any stage, just an, an honorary position of leadership. With them. Right. OK. When you think about academia, a lot of people think, like you said, less about sort of action and more about thinking. But was it always a, a goal from your career to, to act upon the thoughts that you've been having and act upon the passions that you have in environmentalism? Is that something that you targeted in your career? Yeah, I think so. You know, even when I was a kid, uh, I could see that the world was being polluted, that there was litter, that things weren't right, uh, that, that people were treated very unequally in society. So, yeah, I, I had a kind of change maker's heart from early on. And so that relating to your work at the moment, I know that you've been doing some work on these six recommendations from world scientists about what to do in the climate emergency. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, I had been asked to co-sign uh, the scientists warning, world scientists warning of a climate emergency paper that came out in 2019. And I was really very focused and interested in it. Uh, but nonetheless, I was surprised to then be asked by the co-authors to join them in the core co-authorship team. And uh, a lot of my experience in working in government and public policy and academia in Southern Africa really helped me see the, the wisdom and the urgent imperative of these six recommendations. So that, that paper, which we published in 2019, which came out in hard copy in 2020 in the journal Bioscience, focused on six areas that we recommended that humanity really needs to concentrate on uh, in order to avert the worst of the climate emergency. And those six areas relate to energy, pollutants, nature, food systems, population, and the sustainable economy. And I can say a few words about each of those. Please, that would be great. Because, I mean, I guess, so I'll, I'll 
link what you're about to say in with the next question because I was going to ask about how everyday people can get involved in those six recommendations because I think I mean one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast as well was because when I hear about the climate crisis I feel quite helpless a lot of the time and when you hear about papers such as this which I think break it down in really nice bite-sized pieces you still get the sense that these words energy pollutants the economy they still feel a bit out of reach for people and I know that people like everyday people who aren't involved in it can't necessarily contribute totally is there a way that people can get involved in each sector and I don't necessarily expect you to say yes for energy people can do this no uh, on the contrary absolutely they can and in fact almost every one of these six areas is entirely possible for people to get engaged with admittedly some more than others so let's let's talk about that in an integrated way so the the first is energy and you know energy transitions to renewables have got the lion's share of public attention with um with with climate change but it's actually only one of of the six areas now it's a very important area and each of us in our households in our individual lives, as well as in the countries and the systems that we occupy, we can shift that. When we talk about energy, what we really mean is two things, conserving energy and having a transition in our sources of energy from fossil fuels to renewable sources of energy. Now, both of those are really important. We not only have to shift the kinds of energy we use, but we've just got to use them less wastefully, whatever it is, because even renewable energy has an impact on the planet with materials, with space and so on. Uh, And we don't have to be as wasteful as the Western world has been, as the global North has been. And, you know, each of us in our own lives listening to this podcast, Don't worry about the dog. We've had that. We've had that a lot, and it's actually lovely to hear dogs. Weirdly, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, you were saying each in the Western world and in the global world. In the Western world, we we tend to use energy and other resources so wastefully. But you know, even uh, each one of us listening to this podcast from whatever part of the world can look at how they you know use energy in their house and a lot of people have you know can i uh, exchange my light bulbs uh, you know can can i get a different kind of car or maybe do without a car altogether um and that kind of thing all of that is important and i really want to focus on using energy less wastefully more conservingly than than we have done i i guess I want to say right up front that a lot of people feel disempowered because we feel that we're in big systems that we can't control, Mm -hmm. that they happen above us, that they're decided by governments or people in Brussels. And, you know, we we can't change them. The reality is that we can change them, Max. And there, there are things that we can change in our own lives, but we can also, of course, get very involved in politics and and the economy. Now, not everybody is equally comfortable in doing that. And as you say, a lot of people have felt disempowered um, because they say things like, well, I'm just one person, what can I do? The the reality is that we're nearly 7.9 billion people on the planet now. And so a small number of individual actions do add up to a significant amount of change. 
But nonetheless, some things do need to be treated from the top-down level at the systemic change level. And it's hard for people to influence the economy. But I'll, I'll get onto that because there are definitely ways in which as individuals, we can influence all of these things. Mm. So the second thing is pollutants. And by this, we specifically mean short-term atmospheric pollutants, you know, pollutants that go up into the air and affect the atmosphere and therefore the climate. And I'm specifically talking about things like methane and carbon soot. Uh, anyone who lives near a farm will know about methane <laughs> from, from animal livestock. Yep. And uh, so the way that farmers can manage their manure piles for a start is something that can, uh, on a grand global scale, have a significant effect on the biogeochemical cycles of, of the earth. It can affect the amount of methane that goes up into the air. But certainly also, uh, and in particular, particular in the USA, there's a lot of methane being leaked from fossil fuel um, plants and drills and so on. So we need to, at the systemic level, solve those kinds of things. Yeah. Anyone who has a wood fire or coal fire um, fireplace in their house can influence the, the, the carbon soot that we put out into the atmosphere. But, you know, to be honest, pollutants is one of the things that's hardest for individuals to be able to influence themselves. So I'm not going to dwell on that, but pollutants is number two in the scheme of things. Yeah. Um, the third thing is nature. And many of us have a deep connection with nature. And sadly, not all. People growing up in cities are often quite estranged from nature, and they may not even understand why they're feeling out of sorts. Uh, and it's often because they don't have the greenness and the bird song that help calm our, our psyches. By nature, we mean two things, especially the conservation of nature and the restoration of nature where it's already been degraded or lost. And again, this is often something that needs to be decided and acted upon at a larger scale. But many, many people will know that in their own patch, in their own city, in their own, on their own farm, or in their own garden, they can take actions that help keep carbon in the soil, help keep biodiversity or, you know, plants and animals in, in their patch by taking a, a stewardship role over those areas. And if a patch has been degraded, working, if necessary, with specialists to figure out how to restore that land. So that's definitely something that in many cases, people can get individually involved with. Yeah. There are a lot of citizen science groups or community science groups, as we prefer to call them now, I guess, um, that, that are working on taking a kind of stewardship and environmental monitoring role in their, in their own patch. Uh, I run several projects myself uh, in, in that line, and many people find that it's very satisfying uh, to themselves psychologically 
and spiritually and mentally become involved in nature projects yeah I was gonna say it's it's interesting I I don't know whether it's just the age I'm getting to where my friends are starting to buy houses and get gardens but the amount of talk that suddenly is shifting towards gardening is very interesting at the moment and it is it is a real it's almost like the replacement for video games you know it's like looking up how to grow grass and keep things living and what works best with one another it's it's quite, it is, just as you said, very mindful and very satisfying. <laughs> you're showing that you're actually quite a spring chicken on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But, but, but you're right. I mean, kids and teenagers and 20 and 30 somethings have been often more engaged in video games than in gardening. And there is something, I, I you know, I didn't really get into gardening until I was an adult in my 30s probably and I started living in an area where the soil was good but what you learn about soil is that once you get it under your fingernails and you're working in it you feel better Mm. your your gut microbiome is probably healthier you are surrounded by oxygen and bird song and um, animals living in the soil that are helping create your food yeah they're helping keep our food system secure and all of those things are profoundly healthful and therapeutic for weary and frustrated urban dwellers, you know, particularly those people who felt that they needed to stay inside during the COVID pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, if, if a garden is your patch of nature, then invest in your garden and figure out how to do it, get together with other people. You know, the, the UK has... Um, allotment systems in many towns and I have a sister-in-law who's like an allotment queen she produces the (laughs) most wonderful vegetables and fruits and uh, so you know it's actually a very satisfying thing to do so that's one thing I would certainly emphasize so remember to tune in for part two where we're going to be talking about the last three recommendations made on this document, which are food systems, population, and the sustainable economy. So just as a recap, what Phoebe ends up talking about there is energy, pollutants, and our connection with nature. Now that last piece on the connection with nature is really interesting because it matches a lot of what episode two talks about with Ashley Colby. She mentions joining things like allotment systems and speaking with neighbors about growing your own fruits and making your own products. Um, Joining nature programs has real benefits to our mental health and even just going for a walk. Diana Wall, episode 5, talks about just looking up while you're going for a walk, not being on your phone as much, and that really improves not only your connection with nature, but furthermore, how we value and how we see nature and how we interact with it and what we want to do to protect it. Pollutants is a bit harder for everyday people to get involved with, although we do have an impact, obviously, with what we drive. Electric cars are on the up. If you have fireplaces, making sure that they're properly maintained just so we don't have pollutant leaking in our homes. And the big one is energy. Energy can be conserved in our homes and it's all the things that, to be fair, I think we have heard before. Things like turning light switches off, plug sockets off at the wall, using LED lights, improving installations in our home, which are actually pretty much all beneficial to us anyway. A big one is using a smart meter. That actually measures how much energy you're using on the regular, and it saves you money as well. Something that's becoming more popular as well is requesting to change energy suppliers. And whether or not you think that does have an impact, 
it can show that demand for fossil fuels is decreasing. And that's an important pattern to be able to have on big data. So to get the next episode straight into your podcast stream, subscribe. Otherwise, look out for it. Speak to you next time.